Ladies and gentlemen, one of our favorite places here in Chico to get craft beer and food is the Handlebar. Johnny, tell everybody a little bit more about that place. They've got a great happy hour every single day of the week from 2 to 6 p.m. We're going to get some money off cocktails and craft beer, as well as half-off bottles of wine. Can't beat that. It's a screaming deal. They've got excellent food, a family-friendly patio. What more could you need? Yep, that's the Handlebar, 2070 East 20th Street, right here in Chico. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, and welcome to the show. This is Fresh Hop Cinema. We're a podcast, and if you're listening on the radio waves, a radio show right here in Chico, California, and my name is Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Welcome to the show. This week, we have a review of the new film, Those Who Wish Me Dead, from director Taylor Sheridan. We also have beers from Lagunitas Brewing Company out of Petaluma, California. The first is the Rotating Hop IPA called Stereo Hopic. And the second is a colossal and newly reformatted IPA called Maximus. hey If you are listening on the radio waves at 90.1 FM KZFR, you're going to be hearing our review of that first beer and only the first portion of our discussion of Those Who Wish Me Dead, which will be spoiler-free for anyone who hasn't had a chance to see it in theaters or maybe on HBO Max. That said, if you do want to hear the full conversation, as usual, you can find this episode plus more than 200 other film and beer conversations dating all the way back to 2016 at any of the following places. On Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a rating or review or any other place quality podcasts are listened to. That's right. If you are a social media person, we are on Instagram, we're on Letterboxd, we're on Untapped. If you don't know what those things are, we highly recommend. I'm sure everybody knows Instagram, but for if you're a big movie nerd, check out Letterboxd. It's like a it's like a movie diary, basically, and Untapped is that, but for beer. And at those three places, you can find us at Fresh Hop Cinema. That's right. And for all of those tasty us-related morsels and more, please get on the old interwebs and click on freshhopcinema.com. If you want to write us more than a sentence or two or even want to send in a voice memo if you have some things to say to us, good, bad, ugly, whatever, send an email also to fhccast at gmail.com. We'll read it, listen to it, review it. You might even earn yourself a shout out on the show. Let's talk about Patreon. Johnny, we just did something that we haven't done in quite a while on Patreon, which is for our bonus episode of the week, we kind of just started talking. It was a little bit we more went, free form. Went full Seinfeld. It was a show about nothing. It was a show about nothing, but I think uh, maybe not quite on the echelon of Seinfeld, but still pretty entertaining. We talked about our favorite sort of you know, local uh, <laughs> local watering holes. Then I was like, well, it's not just watering holes. It's all sorts of holes. So it's our local holes in Chico. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not exactly right either. Anyways, we we uh, wanted to hear from all of our patrons what their favorite places in town or or their town, not necessarily Chico. We have a bunch of people from out of town as well. Um, favorite places to get beer, burgers, cocktails, appetizers, maybe brunch, whatever. But we also have all sorts of other bonus episodes going back years. And to get access to that stuff, plus a lot more fun things. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. And if you have four bucks a month to spare or a dollar per episode or $3 per episode, whatever works for your budget, it's super easy to sign up and it means a lot to us and really helps us keep the show going. Keeps us buying fun beers, uh, renting movies when that's applicable, going to the movies when that's applicable. And it's, it's a lot of fun. We get to, we get to, what's the right way to say this? Um, we get to get a little loosey goosey sometimes, which is, which is very freeing, at least in my opinion. 
Absolutely. Plus, just from a content perspective, as someone who listens to podcasts daily, there's a massive backlog of all of our content since we started our Patreon that's available to listen. So Pretty cool. if you like what you're hearing, there's a ton more waiting for you behind a very affordable, tiny little, you know, paywall, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's no Disney Plus paywall. No. Good Lord. There's um, two paywalls on Disney I know. Plus now. What, were we just, what movie did we do if that was an issue? Raya. Raya the Last Dragon. Yeah. That was nuts. You have to pay $20 yeah. just to have access to pay another $30. Yeah. We're no Disney. Super cool. We're better than Disney. Well, I don't want to get sued. They'll find this and sue us for that. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> um, okay. Johnny Summers, you got anything else or is that all the housekeeping we have to cover? No, let's get to the best part. Let's taste some beers and talk about them. Okay, you are a longtime proponent of Lagunitas Brewing Company in Petaluma. You've picked out our beers for the show this week. Tell me what you want to tell me about the brewery, and then tell me what we're drinking first. Yeah, uh, I am definitely a big fan of this brewery. Uh, I've gone hot or cold on some of their year-round stuff, but in by and large, I am a fan of all their beers. Uh, I have a lot of friends that work there. I sold their beer for a distributor for a time, so definitely very familiar with this brewery. Been to the brewery in Petaluma a bunch Good, good dudes that work there like this place. So let's give a little background. If you don't know, the brewery was founded in 1993 Man. by one Mr. Tony McGee. 90, that's in, a great sentence. I'm so sorry. The brewery was founded in 93 by Tony McGee. Right? So old, too. I didn't realize it was that old of a brewery. I think he probably was ready in 92, but he's like, it's going to sound better <laughs> by wait a year. Yeah. Just, just one more year. 93 yeah. by Tony McGee. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, yeah, it was actually founded in the small town of Lagunitas, California, its namesake, and it was moved roughly a year later in 94 to nearby Petaluma, California, where they have flourished flourished, and uh, outgrew that, and then they opened one in Chicago as well, and uh, yeah, they're just, they're flourishing. They've actually flourished so much, they're global now. They've been- yeah. I wouldn't say taken over by Heineken, but Heineken definitely bought half of them. Oh, just half. So, yeah. So it's it's a it's a fifty percent. I think fifty or forty nine, fifty one, something like that. It's it's not all, but it's a big chunk. And it took them out of being technically a craft brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, they were one of the fastest growing craft breweries in the United States. Actually, before the uh, sale, partial sale, they were oh. fifth in the nation. Wow. I, I imagine Sierra Nevada is kind of towards the top. Maybe the top. Uh, I don't even think Sierra Nevada is still classified as a craft brewery. I think they are. Do you, is it because of the volume of what they produce yeah. or is it because of the ownership? Because I think it's, vo- yeah, it's, it's volume. Fine. They're not a microbrewery anymore, but they're still a, they're still a craft brewery, right? I, I guess. They are. they are. They definitely are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Lagunitas, I guess, maybe is not, but that may not change the fact that their beers can be delicious and they might be a miss. I'm excited. I'm always a little bit mixed on Lagunitas, especially when it comes to their hoppier stuff, because it has a very particular, most of the time, malt bill that can be pretty heavy, especially in the summertime, which is kind of what we're approaching here in Chico. And this first beer I see on our notes is 7.2%. So probably not the lightest beer I've ever had in my life, but uh, what is it, dude? What are we drinking first? So yeah, our first beer is Stereo Hoppic. It is a hop-focused series of IPAs where essentially they showcase two hops in a beer. Uh, and this is the second of the series, the Stereo Hoppic series. This one is, where did it go? This one's featuring, uh, what are they called? I lost it. Oh, I got you. Yeah, Elix- no, Elixir and Laurel Hops. I should just read the notes in the order which they're written. That would help me figure out where things are. 
Uh, yeah, so from their website, a little bit on Stereo Hopic, which is a 7.2% ABV, 65 IBU rotating hop series IPA. The Stereo Hopic series channels 25 years of loving hops into a spotlight on two special varietals at a time, and the interestingness that happens between. This second volume shows what happens when the elusive Alsatian elixir hop and its red wine grape notes mingle with Yakima's new noble and floral laurel hops. So that's batch number two. Max, do you, could you possibly tell me from the annals of your memory what batch number one, what those hops were? If I remember right, it was Nelson Salvin and Mosaic hops. And I don't know when that beer was released, but um, I would like to find that out. So I'll see if I can. But um, I'd love to see if it's still around to get our hands on that too, to put them next to each other. But uh, we'll by see. now it's by now it's probably old because they only do this like one batch at a time. It's not like yeah. they're making the the number one. It I mean you could probably still find it, but it won't. I be. might yeah. It probably wouldn't be great, but this this came out within the last month or so. Okay, so, yeah. And I've I've sipped it, I have sampled, I've smelled, and you know I was going to ask you before you brought it up, but you kind of answered the question how I knew you were going to answer it was what do you think of when I say Lagunitas beers? You yeah. think. You think a malty profile. You think like chewy malty. Yeah, they're almost. big, man. And, they're big beers. Yeah, and really, that's what like when I said I was kind of been hot and cold on their their year round lineup. Mm-hmm. It's just simply because like the game has changed around them, and that big malty chewy backbone isn't necessarily vital or yeah. indicative of IPAs, especially West Coast IPAs anymore. Like their IPA is their flagship, and it's a great beer, but it is real hard to drink more than one of them. So I was expecting that, you know, that's kind of the the go-to default expectation because it's just history's proven itself. So I'm hoping for something more than that. I'm hoping for a little bit more brightness and maybe some lightness of body and not just a malt bomb. So what are you thinking? Have you tried it? What do you what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, I've just poured it. I'm about to have a sip, but but what you said kind of caught my attention cuz being as old as this brewery is now, it kind of reminds me of the same thing that happens to a lot of stone beers when they are made like there's this this long tradition in that brewery of making like that's their thing like aggressive bitter ipas right and while the market has changed significantly for that granted there's still that obviously but ipas have shifted in the last two decades it feels like lagunitas latched onto what they started with which is like a heavy aggressive ipa and stuck with it and which is great because people like it but it is indicative of, of, of their style and, and for better or for worse sometimes. And I'm hoping that when I taste this one, it will be like you're saying, like maybe a little bit more drinkable and a little bit lighter and a little bit crispier. Um, you said you've had a sip, right? Yeah. I've had multiple sips now. Is it any of those things? Well, it's a little bit lighter. It's still, for me, it still has a very significantly signature Lagunitas taste. I think there's just no way around that malt bill. I don't think that this is as malty, but I'm not going to say it's by a great deal. I think this is still got kind of that sweetness on the finish. There's a, there's a ton of malt in this. Uh, the hops are very present. You're definitely getting punchiness up front. You're getting a real showcase of the hops, which is the whole point of this beer. Um, my question to you is how does that mix with the the malt profile is it a more enjoyable experience than some of their other beers or is this a standalone beer that you think 
stands above those other beers. Yeah, on my palate, it's actually not nearly as malty as, as I expected or as you're describing. I, I find that the hops are definitely sort of front and center. And the malt is, is I'm actually having to fish for it a little bit. And I looked up the ABV of their flagship IPA, which to me drinks way heavier than this. And it's a whole mm. percentage point lower. It's uh, it's 6.2%. And it okay. drinks like just, just a heavy, like it drinks like a beer that was originally what an IPA was. It was just like, this has got to survive the boat, the months at sea. So let's just, which doesn't make a lot of sense because hops are what were used for that. But it just feels like a heavy beer. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and this one feels a lot lighter than that. And I'm enjoying it quite a bit, actually. Um, I'm getting very little of that sort of <clears throat> um, taxing malt heft. Yeah, that's fair. And it could be instead of that malty sweetness, I'm getting some of the notes from that elixir hop. Yeah. I mean, when all they say is red wine grape notes, I mean, that's tough. Grape notes alone are going to add some sweetness and mm-hmm. and different things, but it's not a bad beer. I'm I'm pleasantly surprised because it does you're right. It feels a lot lighter than a lot of Lagunitas beers. I'm curious if it's going to be lighter or heavier than our, our second beer, the, the Maximus. So Man, make yeah, make a yeah. mental note. I would love to just see how it stacks up to some one of their, their year-round flagship beers. Yeah, I went to uh, to yakimavalleyhops.com, which is where they have the um, hop profile for Elixir listed. And it's, it's weird. It's not exactly what I thought I was going to read, but they say that Elixir is a new and exciting hop variety developed in the legendary growing region of Alsace, which I think is Alsace, France. Um, Elixir is a robust and complex hop that offers unique aromas of, and this is the weird part, cognac, leather, and tobacco that are backed by sweet citrus fruits as well as rose and lovage. I don't know what that means. Elixir is well-suited for darker styles, but can also be incorporated into fruit-forward styles or even spicy saisons. Um, Hmm. So unless I am confusing this and there's a different type of elixir hop that they used, that is a really weird flavor profile to put up next to um, this laurel hop. No, I mean, in the description, it says Alsatian elixir hops. Yeah, right. So I guess that's just, I don't, I can't imagine having read that as a brewer and be like, well, yeah, these things would go well together, much less like just in an IPA. I don't know. Yeah. But it does well, work and for that, me. It does work, but that makes me wonder if those are, or that hop is where I'm getting the flavors that I can't quite put my finger on. Because there is some, a little mustiness, but like a little like muddled sweetness Leather, I could see a little, just kind of that musty, dusty, earthy, but not super like earthy, like a sweet earthiness, like yeah. a musty grape almost. So the grape comparison definitely makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I, it's like the the. I'm trying to figure out exactly how I'm trying to describe what I'm tasting. Like, I guess you could attribute some some flavor weight to those things they described, the cognac and the leather and the tobacco, like that might translate in the right mouth to like some weight and some actual, mm-hmm. like some heft. And cause it doesn't feel like the same malt to me, but it does still kind of feel heavy ish, but, but not in the same way. Yeah. And it's got like a light body, but a heavy finish on the body. If that makes yeah, sense. It, like, that makes sense to me. I bet you it makes sense when, to anybody drinking this. Yeah. Like when you drink it, it's very light as you're like drinking and swallowing, but then it leaves your mouth feeling like, like it's just done some work, like a little bit of a heavy mouthfeel. Yeah, for sure. Huh. What um, an interesting beer. Yeah. Do you want to give it a rating out of 10? Yeah, I don't think I love it, man. It's really like like pithy and a little bit more bitter than I would like. And there's some really wonky flavors flying at me. And I get it. It's experimental, like 
that's fine. But yeah, for me, this this feels like a six two. Honestly, yeah. Okay. So yeah, for me, like the Lagunitas IPA, their standard IPA is pretty middle of the road. I, I, I like it with the asterisk of like, I really need to be in the mood for that type of heft. Um, yeah. and this is still better than that, but I'm going to land on a, on a six, even it feels like a decent beer. I know we, uh, you bought it as a six pack. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I'm imagining because it's Lagunitas and we're relatively close to them. It was pretty affordable. And it, so if you like, I, you know, I'd say if you love the flagship IPA from Lagunitas and you're like, I could go for a lighter version of that kind of with the same sort of vibe, but different, you might really like Stereohopic volume too. I would, I would mm-hmm. posit that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. So 6.2 for you, six for me. I'm ready to put this beer to bed if you are. Yeah, I feel good with that. Once again, you're listening to the freshest and the hoppiest of cinemas. If you get a chance to try Stereo Hopic from Lagunitas, let us know what you think. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com or find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema. Let us know. We want your opinions. All right, we're going to play you a trailer for that new film that we teased earlier, Those Who Wish Me Dead. If you haven't had a chance to see it, though it is streaming on HBO Max and in select theaters, we aren't going to spoil anything without giving you plenty of heads up. In fact, if you're only listening on KZFR, you're not going to hear spoilers at all, so don't worry about a thing. We'll be right back after this trailer to talk about it, so don't go anywhere. Why'd they put you in a fire tower? Well, I'm just lucky, I guess. I read the wind wrong. I should have gone to them. Then you've been dead, too. That's our job. Hey, stop! I'm not gonna hurt you. I wanna see where the blood's coming from. It's not my blood. You in trouble? Anyone else in trouble? My dad said, if anything happened, I should find someone I could trust. You're someone I can trust. We promise absolutes. Act accordingly. Those men that came for your father. Did you see their faces? That's them. Cut you down. Give me something else to worry about. You're gonna run. Run for a long And you're gonna keep running. That eats everything in its path. You really wanna die for this kid? Take a deep breath. Hold it. And lay back. What happens next? Look it right in the eye. That was a trailer for those who wish me dead. Still reeling from the loss of three lives, Hannah is a smoke jumper who's perched in a watchtower high above the Montana wilderness. She soon encounters Connor, a skittish boy who's bloodied, traumatized, and on the run 
in the remote forest. As Hannah tries to bring him to safety, she's unaware of the real dangers to follow. Two relentless killers hunting Connor and a fiery blaze consuming everything in its path. This movie was directed by Taylor Sheridan. It was written by Michael Corita, Charles Levitt, Taylor Sheridan. And it was based on a book by Michael Corita. Yeah. Or Corita? Mm, I'd go Corita, sure. That works. Oh, okay. Uh, stars Angelina Jolie. She plays Hannah, the smoke jumper you were referring to. And and the little dude who is lost in the forest is the character's name is Connor. It's played by Finn Little. And there's a whole smattering of other people in this film, including John Bernthal, Aiden Gillen, who was Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Nicholas Holt plays Patrick, his sort of other mercenary type spy dude that's chasing this kid. Um, you have Jake Weber, who plays Owen, Medina Senghor, who plays Allison, and Tyler Perry, who plays Arthur, who is sort of the... Uh, the the I you know, seldom seen bad guy that sent uh, these two killers after this kid and his family. Yeah, is that fair to say? Yep. Okay, uh, Johnny Summers. I've said it a couple times. So we probably don't need to repeat it. Most people are just joining us on the radio. In which case, where can people watch this if they want to? And how long is it? Oh yeah, this was released on May fourteenth mm-hmm. to theaters and HBO Max. You can go see a theater. Go see this in a theater if your local theater is open. Yeah, it's an hour and 40 minutes long. Fair. Oh, it's also only streaming on HBO Max until, uh, I think I saw June 12th, June 14th, something like that. So you've got yeah, a couple weeks to see it. They're doing that thing with all their first run Warner Brothers movies. Yeah. Same with like Mortal Kombat and all yeah. the other ones that came out. Like you get them for like a month. And then if you haven't watched them by then, say good day. Yeah. Okay. So Johnny Summers, this is, this is part adventure wilderness thriller part vengeance tale, part survival movie, part a lot of things, I think. But I want to know your initial thoughts on Those Who Wish Me Dead before we kind of really dissect it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is is kind of a multifaceted movie. But unlike last week's episode, I think the, the, the parts in this movie fit together to create a sum that is worthwhile, which is refreshing. It, uh has aspects of like a late nineties thriller, mm-hmm. definitely river wild vibes. Um, I thought that it was really well written. I know Taylor Sheridan's work and I, I know that he writes drama really well. Like what? Um, so he wrote and created Yellowstone, which is like a super, super drama mm. with Kevin Costner. Yes. It's all set in Montana. Um, he also wrote Sicario. He wrote the screenplay for that. Oh, nice. And you you might remember our very first episode ever, Hell or High Water. <laughs> he actually wrote the screenplay and received an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Screenplay for that. All right. Cool. So pretty familiar with his writing and his style, and I know that he does... You know, Hell or High Water had those elements of like suspense, kind of heisty, a little bit chasey, a little yeah. bit schemey. And, you know, this had notes a little bit of that, you know, with the Sicario vibe coming in of, like, someone being assassinated and then their kid being chased through the woods. And, you know, it had all these elements. It had thriller elements big time. And I think it, like I said earlier, it combined a lot of them into a film that was fairly cohesive. There was a bit of overacting and sometimes I think a bit of underacting. Mm. There were moments of greatness and... There was a lot of anxiety for me in this movie. This It was a real tense watch. Uh, if you got invested and really got into it, it is a movie that will kind of keep you like on the edge of your seat. And there is one thing that I always love in a movie. It's kind of a, a hero that you don't suspect. 
there was a, a particular character that kind of came out of oh, nowhere sure, sure. and really surprised me, which I enjoyed. It was uh, not; it made it less predictable, and also absolutely loved Aiden Gillen as this soulless, just term- yeah. <laughs> Terminator of an assassin. Um, really like really dark stuff, and yeah. he played that off so well. It was legitimately terrifying. So. There was actually a lot of things I liked about this movie. I was on the fence at first because you never know. Um, honestly, some of Taylor Sheridan's stuff's been good. Some mm-hmm. of it's been hit or miss. But I think overall, I was I was very entertained. I was engaged. It was kind of hard to look away from this movie, and it definitely emoted or invoked some some anxiety and some edge of your seat kind of stuff. And I think that's what it was going for. So. I think overall, I liked this movie. I think it was above average, and uh, I enjoyed it. What did you think? You know, yeah, I was a little wary going in. My first instinct when I saw the trailer for this film, I think I might have just seen it in in the theater when when we saw a movie, and I remember distinctly thinking, "This, I don't, I don't care about this." It seemed, it seemed like it was going to be bad for a number of reasons, and some of them checked out. I don't, I don't think I loved this movie. Um, but we're coming off of two weeks on this show where I hated the movies. And I yeah. might be just coming like bouncing back with a lower bar. So I think it was okay, man. Like um, maybe we can talk about this later, but some of that tension I'm sure had to come from the all too recent reality of wildfires in Northern California. Like your face, there there should maybe be a trigger warning issued for people that have lived through some intense wildfires. Cause a lot of this movie takes place in that blaze. And um, that's very stressful. Yeah. And uh, is that where some of that came from for you? Or are you talking more about um, the other stuff? I mean, a little bit of both. Definitely during that part of the film, all of the hairs on my body were standing up yeah. and I had a hard time breathing. But other than that, it was fine. <laughs> other than not being able to breathe, it was totally fine. <laughs> yeah, it was totally cool. Um, yeah, man. Like, I don't I don't know. I think the upshots of some of this, like Finn Little, the kid that plays Connor, I think does a really good job. He's There's this weird balance of... of bonding between him and, and Angelina Jolie's character, Hannah and the trauma this kid has gone through. And they almost at moments play it off with some humor, but it's never fully commits. So for me, that was kind of weird. Like there's talk about people dying of cancer and there's some really graphic violence in this movie too, which kind of caught me off guard. Um, I, I, I was watching and I never really got bored. I disagree with you on the Aiden Gillen character. I think in a movie like this, when so much of it is motivated by the, by the inspiration of the villains, I want somebody that's a little bit less black and white when it comes to their villainy. Like he starts the fire. I think that's okay to say with, with flares and they get close up of his face. Like just with like almost, almost like a, uh, an arsonistic kind of pleasure. Yeah. He doesn't fire. have, he doesn't have a mustache, but he basically does kind of thing. Like he's so brutal and it doesn't help that his partner played by Nicholas Holt is like, when, when that scene happens, like you can almost see some hesitation in his eyes, but I think that might've been an accident because other than that scene, there's nothing like that from him. And they're just like, weird. We're the baddest of bad guys. We're going to kill everybody. We're going to start fires. We don't care just to, to stop this kid from disseminating this really compromising information that he has learned. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. The motivation wasn't there for me, but there's, there's fine. There's fine seg- segments of this movie. There's some good uh, running that happens. The lightning was a bit much for me, but you know, I'm not going to nitpick it too much. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to just take this as like a, 
a modern day maid, but like the mindset of like a mid nineties thriller. I struggle like, with that. Yeah. The the other yeah. thing is like the, I don't know, they go for this really, it's, it's certainly heightened, but the violence and, and the gore are fairly realistic, I think. And I yeah. was invited into that and like, okay, I'm going for like a real world kind of gritty thing. And then about 10 minutes into the movie, maybe, no, maybe further. It must've been like half an hour in. There is uh, a lightning strike that hits Angelina Jolie's forest watchman tower and she falls. It's got to be like 30 feet and she yeah, lands pretty flat high. on her back. And like, I think I'm, I watched that and I'm like, I'm, I am done. I'm going home yeah. for the day. No, thank you. And she gets up and kind of shakes it off. And, and I'm not a doctor, but like, I don't think you're shaking that off. I think you're, you might be dead. And it's like this yeah. weird balance. Like, is it, are we going for real? Like at one point she gets almost struck by lightning. Like it hits like four feet from her. It's like, I'm pretty sure that would kill you too. It's like, what kills you? What doesn't in this movie is unclear to me at least. That's fair. There's some really weird, um, like standards that are set. Like the rules are like, yeah, kind of wonky. Cause they do go hard with the violence. And then like, yeah, that fall is for sure. At least breaking some ribs. So yeah, some, some script inaccuracies and definitely some inconsistencies with the, the action and like the, the rules in the sandbox we're playing in. I could see that argument. Yeah. And there's some dialogue moments too. And like, I'll take it a little bit, like, especially if you're making the case that you are, which is like, take it with a grain of eighties action movie. It's like, okay, there's one point where a character says, uh, an expletive in the sense was, I hate that. I hate it here. Or I hate this place. And then another mm-hmm. character goes, this place hates you back. <laughs> it's just like, okay. All right. Like I get it. It didn't, it didn't have the effect. Like I laughed. I think I was supposed to be like, Yeah whatever yeah. you're gonna get what's coming to you and it just didn't it didn't hit me that way none of this movie really hit me in that way yeah yeah no you were supposed to feel that a little bit more and it was yeah um and the, the it's because the villains were so over the top I bad know. yeah it was just like oh of course you're saying over the top cheesy things yeah so though i was there about was, that other character i think that's the same character you're talking about that delivers that other line the yeah hits you back like, i like that character as well but like i could have done without that line and several others sure Sure. And I think that's going to be a side effect of the writing of Tyler Sheridan. Like if you're familiar with any of his more recent work, like the newest Sicario was accepted, not that greatly by audiences. And he wrote that too. Yeah. He had a hand in it at the very least. Um, I just know that it's kind of the consensus among movie critics that his best work could possibly be behind him. Oh, like watching Yellowstone, I watched the first season and waited for a plot to develop other than just a family being terrible to each other. You quit on Yellowstone, huh? Oh, I quit hella hard. And everyone's like, it's the best drama ever. I'm like, it's terrible. Like, this is not good writing. This is, it's just not good. So, and there's a lot of that, like these throwaway cheesetastic lines that are just supposed to get a chuckle out of like, you know. Maybe I'm not the right demographic. Maybe yes. I'm not yep. boomer enough. Yep. Like, but it strikes me as very like NCIS level humor. Dude, it totally does. It's this weird, <laughs> I don't know why, but like coming off of Guy Ritchie in particular, like this weird sort of perception of what a given director feels like masculinity is or like machismo or like this will be a this will be a really cool line for this cool character to say. It's like it doesn't hold up in certainly the, the 20, 2021 year or 2020, like this hasn't worked for decades, I don't think. And sometimes I think they just get stuck in an idea of what they think is cool. I guess that's what direction of a film is. Like you're banking on the director and their style most of the time. And I just don't, it doesn't connect. He doesn't connect to me though. I did love Sicario and I agree. Day of the Soldado, Sicario 2, not nearly as good. Yeah. 
So, you know, take it with with a lot of grains of salt. Take it with like half a shaker of salt. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you're going to need to take this movie like it's a shot of tequila. Yeah. Well, that comes with salt also. A lot of salt, a little bit of lime, (laughs) and a shot of tequila. Sure. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Johnny Summers, unless you have any final thoughts, I'd love if you gave me a rating out of 10 for those who wish me dead. This movie feels like a... 7.1. 7.1. It's a five for me. Totally middle. You know, it's not. It's 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 worse than that. It's a four for me. Just under middle of the road. Uh it'd be a great one to put on if you don't particularly that's such an insult. If you don't really want to watch too intensely, you could throw this on. It's a great throw it on kind of movie while you do chores around the house. Yeah, I liked it more than you, I think. You did. Um it was it was very engaging. I'm a sucker for movies that feel like they could have been diehard or backdraft. So I am of an era that this calls back to. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in a terrible movie sort of way, there's a nostalgia there. So for what it was, I liked it, but definitely not his best work and probably like not even close to even the best movie just on HBO Max right now. So it is what it is, man. Figure it out. Take it with a grain of salt. Watch it or don't. If you do, you should definitely let us know what you think. Yeah, again, it is streaming on HBO Max, like Johnny said. It's in select theaters. You have been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. And like he said, if you agree or, or disagree with us, let us know. Like all the stuff we said at top, we are on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema. You can send an email to fhccast at gmail.com or save yourselves a couple of steps. Head to our website, freshhopcinema.com, for film reviews, beer reviews, and podcast episodes dating all the way back to 2016, the year of our Lord. To our KZFR listeners, the full-length version of today's conversation will be available tomorrow morning, Friday, at 7 a.m., wherever quality podcasts are found. And to all of our podcast listeners, we'll be right back after this with The Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Johnny, I am driving. I'm going 65 miles an hour. I'm not in a town. I'm on the highway. You know where I'm going. The Danger Zone, mall, fucker. <laughs> Man, here we are. I uh, For last week's episode, when I was editing it, like we were real proficient. And um, not that... Saying motherfucker is not proficient, but the moment that we switched from danger zone to or from not danger zone to danger zone last week, both of us like I think just coincidentally dropped like two or three f bombs in the first like seven minutes. It was great. It was like it was so. Just, it was also Army of the Dead. Like we were we were a little bit upset about that movie, so it checks out. Yeah, when we were doing our whole KZFR segment, it was so hard to keep that reined in. Oh yeah, okay. It was just like oh, I can't stir it. I'm so mad. This yeah. was bullshit. Yeah, that was a, what a movie that one was. Yeah, I loved the video that you sent me, by the way. We should talk about that in Hot and Bothered. Okay, deal. I'll make a note of it now. Um, in the meantime, why don't you tell me where you want to start with uh, with those who wish me dead? I don't I don't really have too much to say about it, more than I've already said. It's not, in my opinion, a movie that really needs too much spoilering to talk about feelings. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the real takeaway is how the movie makes you feel. And I think your level of commitment to this movie and like letting yourself get into it Mm -hmm. or in like, yes, you know, you have to commit to this movie for it to like really be effective. Fair. If you're like half in the bag on this movie, it's like going to just become background noise, like you said. So, um, I was pretty committed and it stressed me the fuck out. And (laughs) great. I don't know. Like there was definitely, you know, that and the fact that she had PTSD from a fire, it was like, oh, that's pretty identifiable. Sure, sure. Like, you know, there were elements of it that were personally identifiable, which made it better to me personally, but as a movie, yeah, it didn't necessarily make it 
um, yeah, any life changing cinematic achievement. Yeah, th- there's, I don't know, man. There's so there's this final sort of confrontation that happens between Hannah and the character played by Nicholas Holt, whose name uh, was Patrick. What a mm-hmm. name! What it doesn't sound like a, it's not when you think of like a a killer mercenary. It's not like Patrick, you know. They could have just called him Pat. Yeah, or like Rick Flame or something like that. That yeah, that would just, be an '80s villain right there. Yeah, even just Rick. Rick. Yeah, like something with. I guess <laughs> you think I just pulled Rick from Patrick. I bet you I did that un- unintentionally. Yeah, I was hoping that's where you got it. Nope, didn't connect the dots. Doesn't matter. This oh is wow! Final confrontation. They're fighting literally with the fire blazing around them, and mm-hmm. there's this moment where it. We're supposed to believe that Hannah is now going to die. She's given Connor the chance to run away, and she's going to distract. Patrick, Rick, Flame, the other killer, Nicholas Holt. And instead of running and abandoning her, he comes back, Connor does, to assist in this sort of boss fight. And all she has, he has like a pistol, I think, or maybe a machine gun. And she has like an ice pick. Is that what that was? Oh, uh, yeah. It was like a climbing pick. I guess it's Montana. That that checks out, I suppose, for the winter months. But she gets the jump on him because the kid's distracting the dude. And she spikes him in the shoulder. And I couldn't help but be like, you, like you're not gonna go for a headshot from the back. Like, this dude was just torturing you. He's about to kill this kid. Like, you're not gonna go for the sure thing. I think that's a mistake. Pretty, pretty yeah. blatantly. And then after that, like when she finally got the upper hand, when she just like hit him with the the spike, like the the pick yeah. in like the stomach. I know. And like just hit him in the head with it. Like this movie's been so gratuitously violent. Yeah. Like an ice pick to the eyeball seems appropriate right now. I thought it was going to come. And then I guess like, sure, she's, if, if redemption for letting those kids, not letting them, but like being in the situation where those three kids burned alive and she, she saves the kid, I guess in some universal balance sense, it makes sense. Like, well, this guy now we must feed him to the fire. So like, maybe we had to see that guy burn alive, I guess, but it's one of those suspensions of disbelief that I could not, I was like, just, just, you know, dead. And then you won't risk everybody's lives again. Yeah. It's that thriller action-y movie thing where like instead of killing someone and you have Dude. the chance, you just like yeah. hit them over the head with a chair and run away. Yeah. Like I watched, I watched one of these videos online where it's like medieval sword expert breaks down seven famous sword fight scenes in movies, whatever. And like the number one thing he nitpicks is like there will be a, two guys clashing swords and then one guy will do a spin move for basically no reason. And then the other guy doesn't just stab him while he's spinning yeah. it's just that's not how that works you just stab that person like oh touche i must like, let you complete what, what your you, spin you're doing all this dancing around like you're gonna die and when that stuff doesn't happen unless there's a very specific thing like game of thrones that stuff happens all the time and i'm like well i love game of thrones so i loved game of thrones most of it but in something like this where i don't have years of investment i'm like you should have just hit him in the back of the head don't do this don't don't waste your potential lives because you won't for whatever reason Dumb. yeah exactly Dumb. Yeah, because you're supposed to be like a badass at survival and stuff. Like, do that. Be yeah. the thing that you're supposed to be good at. Yeah. Um. So the kid, I think, was very good. I think that kid was really pulling a lot of people's weight. He had. There's this. What's the line? Oh, it's at the very end of the movie where he, this kid's been through a lot. He saw his dad get in a car wreck, then get shot, then get in another car wreck, and then get shot again. <laughs> like yep. a lot. And then at one point, he goes like, "My mom. I watched my mom die to cancer," which actually was pretty not. That was funny, but like the the comedic rhythm of that scene where Angelina Jolie's character is like complaining about what she's gone through. And then he goes, I watched mm-hmm. my mom die of cancer. And she goes, I can't feel sorry for myself at all when I'm around you. That's funny. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, but towards the end of the movie, everything's resolved and his parents are dead. And he gets this moment where he just gets to go. He's asking like, well, what do we do next? And she's like, well, we go, you know, go do this next step for the fire department or whatever. And he goes, no, like, what do we do next? Like next week or next month? Like, where am I going to go? And it's delivered with such pure, real, like vulnerability from this like nine-year-old kid or 10-year-old kid. Like, yeah. I think, I don't know. Finn Little's got a big future, I think. <laughs> Thin little big if future. You will. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. No, that, that line was delivered with such um uh, like genuine like yeah. worry. Like, oh, you're too little to be that worried about real life, you poor little Like I feel like Taylor Sheridan went up to him in between takes and was like, Listen, if you do not give a good performance here, you're not gonna have any more acting jobs. And then they were like, Action. He goes, What's gonna happen to me? <laughs> and that's right. how they played it. Some old fashioned yeah. I have I have you written into season seven of Yellowstone, but that can but change. Don't wreck it. Don't blow right. this. Um, also yeah. Tyler Perry, big fan. I think he's great in most everything. He was great in Gone Girl for sure. He, he does a really good job at being the sort of imposing for better, like for good or bad, whatever side he's on. He does a, he's a very strong presence. And even when he's not on the screen for very much, he does a yeah, good job like even, of like, I believe it. I'm like, oh, that's the boss for sure. Yeah. Even when he's not in drag. What are you, oh, I, I've never watched those movies. Cause I think they, they oh, look you like mean trash. like the thing that he's like only famous for? He's famous. You've never for seen stuff. those? I, they're, are they he's good? mostly famous for Medea. Yeah, I guess that's probably true, huh? There's no Medea. There's no Tyler Perry. So mm, yeah, yeah. He also does like a lot of really philanthropic, like a lot of really good philanthropic work. He did, gives a lot of money to charities, and but you're right, he's more famous for Medea for sure. Yeah, that's all I can think of. How many of those have you seen? I think there's probably like I think 29 of them probably. I've seen one too many. Sure. Which was, I'm guessing, um, one? One. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay. I'm good on this movie unless you have anything else. Those are the two things I wanted to mention were Tyler Perry and Finn Little. We can't get away with this from this without mentioning um, Allison's character played by Medina. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sengor? Sengor? Sure. Sengor. Seng- I'm not going to say Sengor. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Let's go with Sengor. <laughs> Sengor? Sure. Sengor. Yeah. She's, um, she is John Bernthal's. Ethan, uh, his wife, she is pregnant and she is the opposite of a damsel in distress, which you don't think at first, which is, I think why we both liked her so much. Yeah. She's a a pregnant damsel in, I will fuck you up. And I will put you in distress back the fuck up. Exactly. She was so awesome. I would have watched a movie just about her and John Bernthal. Like John Bernthal works for me in these kind of movies. He really does. And I don't really like, if you described John Bernthal to me next to a headshot, I'd be like, I don't think he's my guy, but I like him in almost everything. Yeah, dude, like John Bernthal has been ripping lately. And like, yeah. I would love to see him in more like action movies. Like he would have been dope in like, okay, if Army of the Dead was better, okay, he would have been dope in Army of the Dead. Yeah, you could sub him out for the bad guy, the betrayer dude. The, oh, hey, yeah. What's a, I can't remember his name, but you know, the bad guy. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, he'd be great at that. He does. He does like, you watch The Punisher, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. That is too much for me. That show was like, all right. Okay, and I guess like a superhero thing, but like, man, he just gets to just in that show, just be like, I'm mad about everything. Yeah, he's just mad all the whole time. Yeah. I would like to see John Bernthal in some slightly lighter, maybe even comedies. Could be fun. I feel like he's got that sensibility in him somewhere. I don't know why I think that. I think I've seen him do some funny stuff. I'll try to think of it. Totally. Like, I could see him in like the Fast and the Furious world or like a rom com action movie. Like, Think like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, something like that. Sure. Or like the pacifier. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm gonna I swear I've seen him in something where he played a like straight comedic role. I'm gonna figure it out. Um yeah. 
but yeah, did you want to talk more about about uh, the, uh, the 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 Allison character? Allison, yeah, that was all. I just thought she was awesome, and she was like the most practical. Like, do that. You should do that thing to live right now. Then she would actually do it, and I'm like, thank you. That was very satisfying that you did yeah. the smart thing. Yeah. Like, you're the only real person in this movie that's like actually thinking and acting. Okay, but counterpoint. There's a moment where she has to choose a vessel for travel, and she looks at like a car, a dirt bike, and a horse. And there's a wildfire going on, and people are trying to murder you. And she picked horse, which for that one shot where she rides into the moonlight looks badass. But I think, as far as good judgment goes in stressful decisions, that is not a great call. No way, bro. You have two trained assassins with assault <laughs> rifles. Uh, Do you really want to come? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, okay, sure. But really? Those guys can shoot at your car and be okay. If they shoot at your horse, basically wherever they hit, you are done. I don't know if you could say that they're going to shoot at your car and you'll be okay. There, I would much rather go with the vehicle that is completely silent. It's not, and- but it's not though, because a horse goes, I don't have any coconuts with me, but you know the sound. Like they don't do that in the woods. They do that on a street while they're wearing shoes. I can just, I can assure you they're not silent in the woods. Well, they're more silent than a dirt bike. I think 10 out of 10 people will agree with me there. I'm (laughs) still saying the horse was a good decision. Okay. But all right, ladies and gentlemen, Max thinks horses are as loud as dirt bikes. You heard that, but you know, and actually I guess if you're going through the woods, presumably off road, a car is not going to work, so that checks out. I guess the only thing that might work is a dirt bike. And if you put me next to a horse and a dirt bike, I have more experience with horses. She clearly knew how to ride a horse. Maybe she didn't know how to ride a dirt bike. So maybe that was the call. Also, it was probably her horse because they were at her house. Was it not both of their house? House? Homes? Houses? Both of theirs? Yeah, house? But, Bur- yeah but Bernthal wasn't there at the time. Yeah. 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 It's true. It was her horse. Of oh, course, you're going to take it. Yeah. You're going to take your horse. It's not just a horse. It's That's your horse. You're right. She didn't just like get kidnapped and taken to a stable, never having been near a horse in her days. And then, yeah, get yeah. on a horse. That's a good point. She's, no. Yeah, okay. If you're a good horseback rider and you have to go through the woods where you presumably- On your been, trusted steed. On your trusty steed where you've probably ridden before. Okay. I've been convinced horse is the right call. I was wrong. Good job. You get a point. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, I'm good on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's get to our next beer. Let's talk about me. Call me Toby Keith because we're going to talk about Maximus, a quote unquote colossal IPA. I'm really getting sick of breweries, by the way, making up their own words for what are basically just double IPAs. Like mm-hmm. uh, who did Megalodon? Oh, man, I hated that beer. Who did that? Ninkasi. Yeah. And they called it a, a mega IPA. Or actually, I think so. Or a super IPA. And then Dust Bowl called their mega IPAs for supine and uh, prone. Prone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, you know, call it what it is, which is often an Imperial IPA like this one, which is 9%. It used to be 8%. They rebranded Maximus and it's 60.5 IBUs. It's gonna be a bitter boy. Johnny, what do they say about Maximus? So it is their colossal take on a double IPA full of Simcoe, Cascade and Centennial hops balanced against tons of rich malted barley. Great. I not too wordy. They're not maybe blowing too much smoke. I love it. I haven't opened mine yet though. I do want to say that it is in a really satisfying design can, satisfying lead design can. It's a 19-2 can. It's green with a their their signature dog with um with a crown of hops around his head and a little tag on his collar that says 9% in Roman numerals ABV. And they have their slogan, Beer Speak People Mumble, down below in sort of old school um Roman uh, symbol writing. Fair? Yeah. 
Oh, there's actually more writing on the can. Should I read it? If you want, go for it. There is a tide in the affairs of big IPAs, which posits that a flood of hops leads to a fortune in liquid. In our 25 years, here we go again, in our 25 plus years of brewing big IPAs, we've learned this to be mostly true with one big caveat. Balance is everything. We believe Maximus to be exactly that. It too, uh, let us know. Maximus IPA is the liquid paragon of our decades-long obsession with hop-forward brewing expressed in a harmonious, thundering voice. And then there Well, see, now I just feel like they're saying that about every beer. I know. This beer is a product of our we decades. Love, we of, love hops. Here's our proof. Yeah. Or like, yeah. you don't... It, qualify one beer with that. Yeah, is you, every yeah. beer... This beer is a result of our experience of doing what we've been doing for 25 they're, years. I, they're not wrong, Also, this beer... Like, no, but do you need to put that on every no, bottle? No, that seems not. a little bit redundant. Like, yes, it does. We get it. Well, oh, by the way, fun fact. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be fun for anybody else but you, but the first time I ever tried, like I bought a six-pack of beer, and I, the first one I ever remember buying was this. I bought it when I first, um, it was kind of embarrassing, moved on out on my own, not like at 18, like at 21, uh, a couple years into college, I got my own place. And like we drank a little bit, my roommates drank, and I started drinking the year before. But I was like, you know what? I've heard about this craft beer thing. And this, well, this has my name in it. Oh my God, how strong is it? I'll try it. And then I don't remember what happened next. You got hammered, didn't you? Just 8%. I probably drank like four or five of them, not knowing any better. Mm. And I was yeah. like, I'm drunk on me. Yeah, when you're that young and green, you can drink four or five, you know, Bud Lights and be in trouble. Yeah, so that's true. Four or five of these bad boys, oof, you're going to be young and green over the toilet. Maybe that's what I wrote that song about. Maybe. Who knows? Oh, you have a song called Young and Green? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought, totally you, okay, I thought you said on purpose twice, so good. I did, on purpose, good. twice, because I love that song. Thanks, man. Because we're on back to the doo-doo. Is it doo-doo. Sure? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. there's like this part in, in the beginning. It's just it's just a C major scale. It just goes. I happen to have a piano next to me, but people seem to like that. And I'm just like, I'm not telling, but that's just a major scale going down. Yep. So thanks for saying I that. I like though. it. Fun song. Yeah, it's a great song. Anyways, so you does this beer have a special place in your heart since it's one of your first six packs? Do you yeah. despise it because of that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those sort of sweet and salty at the same time situations. But um, mm. I didn't actually realize it was the same beer, just rebranded. I kind of thought maybe it was a different thing. So so this one that we have in our hands is not. No, no, it's a new beer to me. Okay, the ABV change doesn't doesn't hurt that mentality. Yeah, and I feel like they didn't change the recipe a great deal. Yeah, I'd I'd like to know. That'd be interesting. Interesting comparison. Well, I, in my opinion, I don't think they did. You've so. tried it. Yeah. Okay. Tell Have me you? About it. No, not yet. I just poured it. Hmm. Well, it's huge. It's it's massive. There is colossal, if you will. Colossal, if you will. There is a ton of hops in this. It's it is a mouthful. This this is the chewy IPA yep. Lagunitas that I'm used to. Yeah, this beer is intense and it's immense, baby. It is. There's, there's a lot. <laughs> that was like in everything but your accent, a Trump sentence. Just so hard. It's an. <laughs> it's intense and it's immense, baby. <laughs> there's a lot going on here, man. I don't know if I necessarily like it. Yeah. Um. Like at all. Yeah. I don't think I do. I don't know, man. It's. It's know. just a yeah. lot. It's a lot. They get they do this thing, man. Their their bigger beers always have, in addition to that sort of maltiness, and maybe this is part of the maltiness, but like this really 
just like almost in just almost too overwhelming, like, like caramely kind of sweetness that is just always everywhere in their beers. And it's like, I don't know if this were a 12 ounce bottle, maybe, but I don't know if I'm drinking almost 20 ounces of this. Yeah. If you want to just get hammered. Yeah. I guess that would do the trick. Yeah. I mean, it's like a $3, 19.2 ounce can too, which is kind of crazy. How much was the, uh, the six pack? I don't remember. Probably like, Oh, like 11. Oh, is that much? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got it. You got an argument for this $3 one. Yeah. If you're trying to get drunk. Yeah. You know, I think it fits into a very brewery specific style in a very brewery specific flavor profile. Yes. And I think if you are a fan of that, you are going to fall right into line and really enjoy having this beer on hand. Me personally, I think my palate has grown away from it and I have much less tolerance for a beer, especially an IPA that just tastes like it's going to give me heartburn because I, it's I'm so already getting it. Yeah. yeah. And like IPAs shouldn't give me heartburn. That Mm-mm. doesn't make sense to me, but nope. for whatever reason, I feel like this one's going to, it's just got that, that overbearing thickness and that malty sweetness. That's just, it's indicative of Lagunitas, but Again, I think personally my palate's gone beyond that, and it's just it doesn't do it for me anymore. I mean, this is a perfectly fine crafted beer. I don't think there's a ton wrong with it. It's just not to my taste, and I think, you know, I can see why they're successful, but, you know, that's the diplomatic answer. The personal answer is I don't think I'm ever going to buy this beer again, and that's that's just it is what it is. That's my take. You know... I agree with almost everything you said, except I would buy this again for some reason, because I do think there's a time and a place, and the place is almost always a gas station, and the time is often very late, <laughs> where you're like, you're like going through, and you're you're perusing all the, the macro stuff, and you're like, you know, I've only got a couple hours to stay awake, I've worked a long day, I'm going to be up for another, you know, two hours, like, in that case, I will grab one of these, and like, something else comparable, like, some craft, you know, yeah, what's like a strong craft beer that's always around in a big can? Like yeah. a Mind Haze. That like, one's always around. Yeah, it's not that strong, though. Oh, you know what? Like like basically any Voodoo Ranger or like a big little thing from Sierra Nevada. Yeah. Like if I want to catch a quick buzz and and, and, and say I'm drinking a beer, like I'd, I'd drink this. That's fine. But it is going to wreck your palate for everything. Like I'm not going to finish this one tonight. It's it's not the vibe for sure. Yeah. I agree. Um, and it's it's a very mood-specific beer, and I, I, unlike Max, do not know when I am specifically going to be in the mood for this again. So, yeah. you know, in the spirit of Lagunitas, for me, this beer is a uh, a 4.20. That's fair. Okay. Uh, 4.2. I'll add a zero because it'll make you happy. Um, uh, yeah, it's a four for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. It's a four. You know? It's a big, wide craft beer world, and you know, you can be in the river going downstream to the future, or you can be the rock in the river that the river goes around, and you'll be there for a long time. But like, I don't know how all this beer is going to stand up for the next ten years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, trends change makes sense. Um, it's fine. Not every beer is for every person, so cool. I'm fine with it. A lot of their stuff yeah. is really good. You know what is really good is. Uh, the um help me out with the name of it but it's that citrus forward ipa i think it's called born again oh born born yesterday born yesterday that's right I, that's a great beer and it, yeah. it's like similar to the first one it doesn't have that malt bill that i don't love mm-hmm. so they, they can do stuff that that i really dig 
Oh yeah, and they have one called Supercluster that's amazing. Oh, I love Supercluster. Yeah, Supercluster rips, and then they—it's out of production now. I think mm, I haven't seen it in a while. But Twelfth uh, and Never. Oh, that I loved is. that beer. That beer was great. Yeah, I loved like that, that one's beer. way too malty for me. I know for a while they had it. It's if not the Chico Theater, they had it when I was playing in Reno more regularly. They had it at that theater. For, yeah, for like well theater prices, it was like six bucks for a tall can, but still like pretty good. Yeah, pretty damn good. But you know. I need to revisit like their just original IPA, see how it goes and take some tums. Yeah. Oh, you know what else is a great one? Getting out of the IPA range, but they're they're stout. They're willitized stout. Oh yeah. When they remember they used to do the coffee stout? Oh, or, that was good uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. Or and oh they did like an espresso stout a few times too. I remember liking that yeah. one. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's kind of like any of the old school, like classic breweries, like I'm not super stoked on everything Sierra Nevada does. Like, I think the new summer break is absolute garbage. I don't know about garbage for me. I don't. I don't love it either. But I'd like, I'd take Summerfest. We've talked about this. Bring. I'd keep Summerfest. You know. Yeah. Bring that back. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, you know, some of their stuff, not a big fan of, and sure. some of it's just never changed. Like, I bought a six pack of pale ale for the first time in probably five years about oh, a month wow. ago. Yeah. And just to revisit it, you know, because it, I had that weird thing. Like, you know what sounds good right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fucking pale ale. Like, was it? I haven't, was it good? It was. It oh, was good. really good. Nice and man. it was so much lighter and thinner than I remembered. Like, I remember that beer being just, like, unapproachable. And now it's like, oh, this is like a light. It's a pale ale. Like, sure. I know where a pale ale fits into the spectrum of flavor and mouthfeel in craft beer. Like, before it was like, oh, I've only ever had, like, PBR. Like, whoa. Yeah. What is this? This pale ale is like. Nectar. Yeah. This pale ale is intense. I feel like I need to spit. But uh, yeah, now it's it's very approachable, very drinkable, very light. So it is weird though how the old school breweries, some stuff just never changes, and like sometimes mm. they advance in ways that's good. Sometimes it's not. It's a it's a hard business to stay relevant in, isn't it? Sure, 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 sure. Well, what are you gonna do? So I mean, the first beer I think we both liked better. Um, yeah, I guess if we're buying another Lagunitas out of these two, it'll be the first one. It will. Yeah, but I think in the meantime, I feel good about uh, being done talking about Lagunitas. I'd love to tell you uh, some stuff going on in my life. So if you're cool with it, you want to jump into Hot and Bothered? Do it. Hot Okay, sir. So just to finally, unless two years from now, you're going to bring up Army of the Dead again, uh, like you did with that Guy Ritchie movie. We're going to close the loop on Army of the Dead by telling people about this video that I sent you. It was a Screen Rant, which is a YouTube channel. They have this guy who does, it's like, a, it's called a pitch meeting. He does pitch meetings for movies where he and himself from two different camera angles sort of imagine what it would be like when somebody pitched this, this movie to the studio. And in this case, he was talking about Army of the Dead. And basically the thing of the thing is that he just talks about all the blaring inconsistencies and what makes this movie so bad. And it was so gratifying because we had just covered this movie and he, he on some stuff that we talked about, but plenty of other things. And it just made me feel so much better about hating that movie as much as I did. Yeah. It was super validating and it made me giggle just when he was like, Oh, you know, and then there'll be zombies that are evaporated that come to life when it rains. Well, we're obviously going to see those later. Right? Like, no, absolutely not. Never going to touch on it again. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, there were so many good parts. I guess uh, it'll probably be around somewhere. If anybody wants to see it, we can link you to it. It was It's very funny. I, I He kind of annoys me. Like he does the same format for, he's done this for years. And he always is like the same little, like the weird voice and like, whatever. If you can get past that, or if you love it, you're going to love these videos. 
I did love it. I it came across to me as just like super sharply um, sarcastic. Yes, and I like that. Like, have I'm you ever here for that? Have you seen his other videos though? No, I'm I'm gonna watch more of them since I think the one you sent me was the first one I'd ever seen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You. I maybe you won't, but for me, the 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 conceit of his sort of two different characters that he plays got pretty old pretty fast. Yeah. I, I didn't for me. I'd probably have to watch five or six yeah. videos to be like, okay, I get it. But especially doing what we do for the show and then yeah. having it be so parallel, it's like, yeah, it's a very satisfying echo chamber to like right. take a nap right. in. And it's, it's real comfy. It's like a, it's like a, a hammock on a spring day. Like, yeah, tell me how right I am. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's the upshot yes. is like, even though he is kind of annoying, if you think that, like the points he's making are still almost irrefutable, at least in the case of Army of the Dead. Like, yeah, like how did this get how did this get cleared? There are so many yeah. just like obvious, like you guys, this this none of this would have happened if these were real people in a real life situation with zombies. Like nobody would do this. Any of the exactly. things it's great. I love that. Yeah, it was fantastic. Like there's such a thing as a suspension of disbelief, but there's also just terrible writing. Yes. Yes. Terrible writing. Self-indulgent. Good enough. So uh, shout out that YouTube channel again, please. Yeah. So it's, again, it's on Screen Rants YouTube. Uh, I think they're also on Facebook. They post their videos there, but you could basically Google or, or whatever, Pitch Meeting, Army of the Dead, or or he did he does a bunch. So the like Game of Thrones season eight, he did one on, which was at the time very <laughs> upsetting because I was still so invested in like, but he's right. It's all, it's all real. So yeah, just, you can Google Pitch Meeting. Yeah. Maybe I can look up the guy's name, um, but that's basically all I have this week, man. I thought it was a funny video. Um, nice. So yeah, what's going on in your life? You see anything, anything new, anything old? What's going on? Yeah, man. I'm on a journey because we're kind of in between like television shows. Like we always have movies that we're watching and we're still on the Star Trek thing. I'm not going to bore you with that this week, okay. but um, yeah, since we finished, oh God, Chattahoochee Falls or whatever the hell it was called. Um, the one that you have to watch Correct. still. Yeah. Um, I have been just between shows and I had like a hungover day and I was just like trying to survive and, uh, threw on cartoons and ended up getting massively hooked on avatar. The last airbender. Oh, I've never, cool. the show I've never seen it in my life. And it's like all on Netflix and just kind of stumbled into it on a hungover like Sunday and um, as of right now, I'm on like season two, episode 10. So like I'm almost halfway through the whole series. Nice, and it dude. is one of the most enjoyable cartoons. I think it's anime. Is it anime? I don't know. I I don't I don't know if I'm watching anime or not. I think I am. I don't know enough to yes. know that. So if you know the answer, then you just just be happy that you know that. Um, but yeah, dude, the writing's really cool. And like the level of powers in the show elevate so quickly mm. and like the states escalate the stakes yeah. escalate uh pretty rapidly and there's a, a pretty sharp incline in quality of animation and story in like the first five or six episodes like i feel like we got through the pilot episodes of season one and then it just it skyrocketed into really cool territory with you know all the bending and it's very like comic booky um but really satisfying and I'm enjoying it a lot. Have you ever watched Avatar? No, I haven't. But at the risk of not contributing anything to this, I will say that anime is specifically Japanese cartoons. They, they have to originate in Japan or of, of a Japanese style. And uh, as the internet says it, Avatar The Last Airbender combines Western cartoons and Japanese styles. So maybe influenced by, but not strictly speaking, anime. 
That makes sense yeah. because it was like a Nickelodeon original. It was, I yeah, it was. So, um, no matter what you call it, uh, it's it's good entertainment. It's excellent writing, and there's good morals. It's definitely like geared towards like a seven to thirteen year old audience, but it's also one of those shows that like adults can take away a lot from too. All like, right. I see now why it has such a cult following. Like, yeah. it's it's a really cool show. So. I'm super stoked on it. It's it's fun to have something like this a little bit more lighthearted that you can binge that's not murder and mystery and gore and sure, sad. Sure. So yeah. I like to to spice up my hungover Sundays with some cartoons and Avatar the Last Airbender's been making me real happy lately. Cool man, you got anything else this week? Honestly, no. Okay, then this show wouldn't be what it is without the undying support of Bailey Minardi, all of our friends and family on Patreon, our friends at The Handlebar, and of course, without Johnny Summers. So thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back in your feed next week with more talk about beer, more talk about movies. Johnny Summers, sign him off with the best motto, this side of the Mississippi. That's right. That's Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Don't forget, drink good beer, watch good movies, and be good to each other. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.